How to play episode B. How to choose the right game. Hello listeners, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Ryan Sturm and you are listening to How to Play. This episode was recorded on December 15th, 2009. Today we are doing a special episode about choosing games. I decided to do something a little bit different, give me something different to record, and just allow me to talk about some of my favorite games. Maybe give you something a little bit different, maybe you'll enjoy a little bit of variety. You know, picking that right game can make or break your game night. And if you're trying to get people interested in games, if you pick the wrong game, it can just completely ruin everything. So today I'm going to be talking about what games you should use in a variety of different situations. And I know since you're the person listening to this, you're probably the person most interested in games, and you're probably the person with the largest game collection. So it'll probably be up to you to decide which game comes out that night. Now there's a lot of different factors to consider depending on what kind of situation you're in. You'll want to pay attention to who the game players are and their comfort level with games. This will decide what kind of weight you want for your game and which complexity rating and how I talk about green, blue, black. and You really want to decide which of those you're going to use based on the kinds of gamers you have sitting around the table. You'll have to decide whether you want a more serious game, a more quiet, thinking, analytical game versus a sillier game, a, you know, a crazier game with a little more luck and just something to be more fun. You may want to think about theme, looking at the people at your table, what theme might appeal to them. It's not necessarily going to be fantasy or science fiction. I know all of us board game geek people, we love fantasy and science fiction, but realize that that can turn a lot of people off. Next, you definitely want to consider the length, depending on what kind of situation you're in. You may have to fit something in in 15 minutes, or you might have an hour or two. If you have something like a four or six hour game, you definitely want to make sure that players know that in advance and are willing to put in that kind of a time investment. How many players do you have? This is critical. Most games say they work from two to six, but really they only work very well with one or two of those player numbers. So knowing that ahead of time will definitely enhance your game experience, picking the game that really shines at a certain number because many games fall flat with games with too few or too many players. And I ask you again to remember the golden rule of teaching games. If you haven't listened before, that is, when teaching a game, it's more important that the other players have a good time than if you have a good time. That means in, in this situation, when you're picking out a game, you want to pick out a game that you think more likely will be a game that's fun for them instead of a game that you know, you're just aching to try or a game that particularly appeals to you. And as I mentioned in the Teaching Games episode, try to steer clear of extra expansions or advanced rules the first time around. Though that's not to say that you should ignore your own personal preferences. Though, I'm not going to try to frighten a group of people off by uh, submitting them to a three-hour game of Age of Steam 
to people who aren't familiar with games. I'm also not going to take, say, Cranium off the shelf because, you know, that's a game that I really just dislike. So I, I need to enjoy the experience as well. So when you pick, make sure it's something that you also will have a good time at. So in this episode, I'm going to throw out suggestions for games that I personally would recommend for a variety of different situations and player numbers. I'm also going to offer up my top pick for each situation or player number. And then at the very end, I'll consolidate it all down to my essential 10 list of games that I think everyone would do well by owning. Hopefully this will give you some ideas for games to put on your wish list as you build your collection up. You know, Christmas is is right around now, so maybe a few games you might ask for. It's also good to note, uh, you know, though it seems common sense, you should probably build your collection based on the kinds of situations you find yourself able to play games. So if you basically just play two-player with someone at your house, then obviously you're going to be looking for two-player games. If you mainly play with your family, you're going to be looking for family-friendly games. All right, so first a disclaimer. All game recommendations are subject to personal bias, and this is my personal subjective list and recommendations, and therefore it's subjected to my own personal bias of game tastes. And you may need to listen to the sort of games I like and see if my game taste is similar to yours or different, and take these recommendations within that context. So let me tell you a bit about my personal game bias. I love Euro games. Euro games are my favorites. Games with lots of decisions to make. Games with a strategic learning curve. I like games that I can play them 10, 20, even 50 times and still feel like I'm getting better at them. And I like games with tension. I enjoy when a game has an integrated theme. Um, and that's fantastic if there's a theme in there. But if the gameplay is good enough, I'm just fine with an abstract game or with what others might call a pasted-on theme. What I'm concerned about is, is the gameplay exciting? So what mechanics do I like? I like worker placement games. I like role selection, action point systems, lots of typical Euro mechanics. And I also have this uncanny enjoyment of train games. I don't know where this love of train games came from. I never played with trains as a kid. I never, you know, wore train pajamas when I was little. I didn't, you know, have a model train set or have a fascination with riding across Europe in trains. Trains do nothing for me independently, and I could have cared less about trains a few years ago. But in starting to play these games, every time I play a train game, I really enjoy it. There's something about building train networks that really makes a great game. And there are very few train games that I've played that I don't like. So what don't I like? There are a few categories of games through playing hundreds of games I've found that I just don't really like, and if I can, I will avoid them. And so you won't see these games probably on this list. First of all is party games. They just really don't do anything for me. You know, your craniums, your pictionaries, your apples to apples. Uh, most of those sorts of games I try to stay away from. Racing games. I don't know. There's something I can't really get caught up in the excitement. I just, I just don't enjoy them most of the time. And, and I think I'm just terrible at them, which is a part of it. Also, I must say I'm not a fan of what some people have labeled Ameritrash games, and you may have noticed that from the games I've chosen on my podcast so far. Uh, I, I hate that label. 
Um, sometimes people call them American style games, but basically games that are based around theme and not so much mechanics. They usually have a lot of components, a lot of dice, usually a huge monster board. They're usually produced by Fantasy Flight games, though not, not always. Um, but we're talking about your Arkham Horrors, your Cosmic Encounters, your Last Night on Earths, those sorts of games. I also am not a huge fan of cooperative games. I really like the Lord of the Rings game just because I like Lord of the Rings, but I didn't really enjoy the game that much. Um, all the, the other popular ones, Pandemic, Ghost Stories, and I already mentioned Arkham Horror. I've just realized that th those sorts of games are not for me. And, of course, war games. You know, long, complex, GMT sort of games. I like playing games with more players, more interactivity, and I'm not just interested in war or battle strategy at all. I mean, I, I'm not even really interested in playing Memoir 44, even in that scaled down of a version. The theme just completely turns me off. All right, so that's it. That's my, my game bias. So pay attention to that and see if that meshes with games you like or complete opposite of your taste. You're going to want to consider that as I talk about the games that I recommend for these different situations. I've chosen 10 different situations where you're going to find yourself trying to pick out a game. And I'm going to give my suggestions briefly, name of a game and basically what it's about. And then I'll give my top pick, the number one game that I suggest for that particular situation. So let's get into it. Situation number one, the family party. You know, maybe it's a holiday party. The holidays are coming up and the whole family's getting together. And you're the game guy, so you for sure are going to be bringing along a whole box full of games to try to submit on your unsuspecting family and friends. So in this sorts of case, there's probably a lot of different activities going on. There'll probably be a meal, probably be some games or something going on. So you need something very short. You need something that you can explain the rules very quickly. And you need something that will handle a variety of players, probably a lot on the, on the higher end of number of players. So here are my suggestions for this situation. I think a great trick-taking game would be a good thing, something not too complex. I've had a lot of success with Wizard and Rage. Uh, Wizard handles up to six, Rage up to eight. They're both a little random. Um, but a lot of people are familiar with the trick-taking format for card games and so we'll easily step into these sorts of games. You can't go wrong with Holly Golly. Holly Golly is a game about ringing a bell. You know, you flip fruit over and when five fruit come up, you ring a bell. It takes ten minutes, but it's a lot of fun and when you play it, you'll play it four or five times in a row and people can jump in and out. Great for this situation. Transamerica is a nice simple railroad game. It handles up to six. If you wanted to do a party game, that's something a little bit different. Time's Up is very popular and would work well. A couple other short filler type games that will work for this situation are the great game No Thanks and For Sale. For Sale handles up to six. It has two different phases in the game, but it's very intuitive. It takes about 15 minutes, but once people get into it, they'll want to play it over and over again. But what is my top pick for the family party? I gotta go with Ink and Gold. This is the perfect game for this situation. Handles up to eight people. You can pretty much teach the rules as you go. It has this great theme about being Indiana Jones. And you've always got that one person who's just going to keep pushing their luck until at some point they crash. And it's just great fun. Ink and Gold, it's hard to go wrong with that game. 
Situation number two. Situation number two. Converting non-gamers. Yes, I've been in this situation many times, especially because I've lived in areas without a lot of gamers. So, you know, I've, I've tried to invite coworkers over or neighbors and tried to, you know, teach them some of the games, get them interested in games so that, you know, we can have a fun little weekly game night. In this situation, you probably want to start with a green circle and then move into a, a blue square game, mid, mid-length, mid-complexity sort of game. You don't want to overwhelm them right away. You know, keep Age of Steam and Kalos in the closet for a while, if probably forever. You'll probably want to start with a Ticket to Ride. And Ticket to Ride is a great litmus test to see if they want to keep exploring deeper, more complex games. Some other games that aren't too complex and and everybody can have a lot of fun with. But introduce some of those Euro elements to bridge the gap between you know, the gamers and people who aren't that familiar with games. It makes them accessible. Vegas Showdown, great game that fits that sort of category. Citadel, so you show some role selection. and It's not too hard, but a lot of fun. Alhambra, fantastic game. It moves quickly around the table, not a lot of downtime. Niagara, pretty exciting as those different boats are moving down the river. Teach You, great little card game. If you have two sets of couples, it's perfect. You know, you can play the the men against the women. Great game. Or if you want something really interactive and, and quite a bit nasty, you could try Intrigue. Intrigue is a game basically about backstabbing each other. It's sort of a miniature version of diplomacy, but just a riot, a lot of fun. So what is my top pick for converting non-gamers? Have to go with Settlers of Catan. It's very easy to explain. It's very intuitive. And it's very interactive. Uh, The turns move quickly around the board. Everyone's involved on every turn. I've played Settlers of Catan hundreds of times. I still enjoy it. It's probably not the first game I'd reach for, but in this situation, Catan is usually going to be a big hit. Now, I like I said before, I'd probably start with Ticket to Ride. You may discover when you try Ticket to Ride that these people just are not game people at all. And if Ticket to Ride seems too hard for them or completely flops, I wouldn't take that next step. But if they make it through the Ticket to Ride gateway, you gotta go for Settlers of Catan after that. And then you can go into all its permutations. You know, seafarers, cities, the list goes on and on. Situation number three, your weeknight game group. Hopefully you are lucky enough to be a member of a game group that meets weekly. I have a game group that meets weekly. We meet on Wednesday nights starting about 6.30. We usually get about 10 or so people. So in this case, you usually have people who like games and are familiar with a lot of games. But it's still a weeknight and we all work that day. So you don't want something too long. You don't want something too heavy. But something right there in the middle. Probably a blue square or a single black diamond. Some of the games you might consider are your Puerto Ricos or Agricolas or Stone Ages. If you want to learn more about those games, just check out one of my episodes on those games. You know, something a little lesser known by Toiber like uh, Ellisand or some of the Stefan Feld games, Notre Dame in the Year of the Dragon, I think are both excellent. Or maybe something a little bit heavier, La Chita. But what's my top pick for this situation? The Weeknight Game Group? I gotta go with... I'm gonna cheat a little bit on this one, and I'm gonna say... 
Railroad Tycoon, Railways of the World, Age of Steam, or Steam. Now, it may seem like I just picked four games, but they're all essentially pretty much the same game. They're all about building railroads and moving blue cubes to blue cities, etc. If you want to learn more about that, check out my episode on Age of Steam. I just love this system. It is a great game system, and there's so many maps that you could play Age of Steam hundreds of times and not get bored. Now, for your weekly game night, especially if you have people who haven't played a lot of this system, you may stick with one of the lighter versions, like the basic version of Steam or the new version of Railways of the World, which just came out, which is the new Railroad Tycoon, as they're a little bit friendlier, a little less brain-burny than the classic Age of Steam. Now, once everybody's familiar with it, it's hard to beat the original Age of Steam. Situation number four. A Saturday or Sunday game day, or open convention gaming. All right, so you've got all day. This is the time for one of those humongous, complex, double black diamond type of game. If you like that sort of thing. I know that's not for everybody. For me personally, I don't mind if it's a great game sitting down and playing a four, a six, or an eight hour game. But I realize that that's not for everybody. If you like those sorts of things, this is a great situation. Take a day and go for it. Play Civilization or Advanced Civilization. I think it's been a lot of fun. I've only had the opportunity to do it just a couple of times. Or something like History of the World. Just a nice epic game that you really feel like you've sort of had an experience. You told a story. Or something like I, I enjoy Game of Thrones. This is almost pushing a war game here, but it's a very interesting game. There's a lot going on. Or another classic game, Demacher, a great game of German politics. And of course, this would be also a good time to get in some of those heavier, longer Euro games that might just, people may not want to see hit the table on a weeknight, something like a Kalis or an Agricola. So what is my top pick for Situation 4, a weekend game day? I've got to say the granddaddy of train games, 18XX. 18XX combines everything that's great about train games. You've got buying a stock, investing in a company, investing in different companies, trying to manipulate stock, trying to set up a, a good route. You've got advancing your train technology. This is a whole game story. It's like an epic. You start with these little tiny private companies and build to this giant corporation. There are few better gaming experiences, in my opinion, than spending four or six hours on a great game of 18xx. Whether it's one of the states like 18AL, the classic 1830, one of the spin-offs 1856 or 1870. But maybe I can talk about that more on another episode. Situation number five. Games with kids. A lot of times, whether you're sitting together as a family or you're, you're there with a group of kids and, and you want to show kids a game, you're going to want to know some kid-friendly games. I run a board game club at my school and I found that much to my chagrin kids really like party games they really do you know whether it's cranium or apples to apples or likewise games with just one or two rules that they can interact and have a good time usually is a big hit with kids if you have a large group 
like a class, for example, or 10 or 15 teenagers, Werewolf is a fantastic experience. If you've never learned how to do Werewolf, look it up. It's very simple to learn how to do, something I might talk about in the future, but it's really a, a fun game experience, and, and kids can enjoy it as well as adults. Abstract games work well. I've had a lot of fun playing games like Yinch or Abalone and showing kids how to play those. Again, you're looking for games with just a few rules. Again, you're looking for games that are pretty simple with simple strategies. Through playing those, they can get some basic strategy, and the more they play, the more of a strategic mind they can develop. But you have to realize that these kids have, have never really experienced a lot of games, so they, they need some games just to learn the most basic strategies to apply to more complex games as they learn more. There are a lot of great educational games out there. I think the 10 Days series is great. Numbers League is great for mathematics. Games with a lot of theme. Kids in my club really enjoyed Shadows Over Camelot. They ate up the old game Dungeon, which is basically a roll and move where you go in, you roll dice to beat a monster and get treasure. They just loved it because of the different monsters and treasures and things. Memoir 44 was a huge hit. The kids would play this. They might not play it exactly how it's written in the rules, uh, but they, they got the basic idea about how the combat works and they had, had a great time with that. Even Axis and Allies, we had fun just setting it up, playing a few battles. You know, we didn't, we didn't play the whole thing, but we just played it a little bit, and the kids had a good time. Manhattan, I had good success with that. Transamerica, again. Game Right Games is a great company for games for kids, you know, between 6 and 12. There's a lot of games right at their level that has some basic strategy and aren't too hard to learn. Ratatat Cat, Zeus on the Loose, these are very good games. And, and the great thing about them is that they're usually simple card games. They're about 8 to $10 because we know, you know if it's something you're giving to a kid, they'll play it a few times, but sometimes the pieces will get lost and, or, or the game will get ruined. And you know if it's an $8, $10 investment, it's, it's not that big a deal as opposed to something like Memoir 44. But what's my top pick of a game to play with kids or play as a family? I have to go with Ticket to Ride by Alan Moon. Ticket to Ride is just a fantastic, elegant game. It has exactly what I was talking about with some basic strategy that kids can develop through playing a few times. They can also learn different cities on the map, and it's a game that moves fast and everyone can really enjoy together. It's not a game that I would have kids really play by themselves. You'd really need an experience with, with an adult guiding the kids or you know, mom and dad with the two kids. Uh, but, but that's a, a good experience. You might even have modified rules to give your kids a little bit of a handicap to allow them to play at the same level as the adults. But overall, this is just a, a great introduction to games for kids. Ticket to Ride. So my last five situations are different player numbers. I think with each player number, you really want some different features in the game. And that's why certain games shine at certain levels. So I'm going to talk about two, three, four, five, and six and more players and which games really shine at those player counts. At least for me. Again, your results may vary. But let's get into it. Situation number six is couples games. People always ask this on the Geek. They're looking for games to play with their significant other or a roommate. A lot of times there's just two people around. My wife and I play a lot of games together and the characteristics we like in a good two-player game is honestly 
uh, more interaction isn't really a, a good thing. Having less interaction, so, you know, one player can just take their turn, another player can just watch TV or, you know, sit and have a cup of tea, is kind of nice. We don't really want a cutthroat game. We just want to sit together and, and have something as a diversion and, and have a good time together. So what do we like to play? We like to play... You know, things like Rummy Cube, we like to play Backgammon together, we've played a lot of Lost Cities, we've tried some of the other two-player Cosmos games, and, and haven't really liked them that much. A new game that we've just got into and really enjoyed, really recommend, just missed the top pick, Roma. Roma is a fantastic two-player game. It seems like, you know, a full-fledged game with, with more players. A lot of strategy, a lot of different things going on. Check out Roma. It's, it's a great game. Also, Attica is, is really essentially just a two-player game. Uh, it's a nice resource management game with a lot of good decisions. And the old classic Carcassonne. You know, it's funny. People have mentioned a lot of times we call these games classics that are really just 10 years old. But Carcassonne really feels like a classic in the sense of Euro games. But what's my top pick for a couples game? Well, if you are a loyal How to Play listener, you probably already know the answer. And that is Crayon Rails. The Empire Builder, Euro Rails, China Rails, etc., etc. series that I focused on on my previous episode. If you missed it, shame on you. Go back and listen. It's a really great game system and perfect if you have two players and two hours to just you know sit and have a good time together. Situation number seven, then, of course, is three-player games. The features you're looking for in a three-player game is the three-player syndrome is there are a lot of games that say they work for three players, but what ends up happening is two of the players end up struggling against each other, and the third player just goes ahead and wins. And so those are the sort of things you, you need to try to avoid. I don't play a lot of three-player games. It's just kind of an odd number. You know, my wife and I are usually around, or usually I'm at game night. Um, but games that I have found works well with three. Two great games by Klaus Teuber, are good three players, are Domain and Ellison. Ellison is a Catan variant, but it's, it's quite different than Catan. You're exploding buildings and building other buildings, and people can build bigger buildings over yours. And It's a nasty little game, but it's a lot of fun. The classic game Puerto Rico does work very well with three players. But what is my top pick for three players? This game really shines with three, and it's one of my favorites. But it's a heavier game, and a game you're not going to bring out with everyone. That game is Kalos. Kalos, a great original worker placement game. A lot of tension, a lot of excitement. The great thing about three-player Kalos is if you know one player is trying to do something, the other two can try to stop them. So you have to look into those politics of whether the other two players are going to try to stop you from taking those spots further up on the board. But again, this may be a topic for another episode. But if you have three gamers sitting around, Kalos is a great option. Situation 8 is four-player games. Four-player is a really nice player number, as so many games work with four. I already talked about Settlers. Of course, all of the Settlers options are a great choice. In fact, there are five- and six-player options for Settlers. Don't buy them. They're a waste of money. Settlers is terrible with five and six. 
because settlers, especially when you start adding more and more variations, the turns start taking longer and longer. The nice thing about four players is you can have turns that are a decent length, you know, a few minutes, and it still doesn't seem that long if you only have to wait for three other players' turns. Now, when you have to wait for four or five players' turns, then if, if you have games with longer turns, it really just seems to get too long. Goa is a, is a very nice game with four. Age of Steam, of course, four is one of the perfect numbers. I also like it with five. You know, Choir is a truly a classic game that works best with four. But what's my top pick if you have four players around? I have to go with Tichu. Tichu is a partnership game, which is pretty unique. There's not a lot of good partnership games out there. Like I said, you could play couples against couples or you know, men against women. And I think it's it's the best trick-taking card game you can find. So if, if you want to learn more about that, just go check out my Teach You episode. Next, situation number nine, five-player games. I think five players is my favorite player number. You know, I just enjoy that, you know, when there's four, sometimes you can get that two versus two thing going on. When there's five, there's, there's so many variables and so many factors going on that it's hard to account for what's going to happen. I just find five-player games really exciting. But again, the downtime's a little longer. You're going to wait for four players' turns. So you need to have games with pretty quick turns, and you need games that have quite a bit of interaction in those turns. What do I like with five? Coliseum. Coliseum. I'm a big Coliseum believer. There are many that, that don't enjoy it. It's so much better than Princes of Florence. I don't know why Princes of Florence is ranked so high. Princes of Florence is simply a math puzzle. Coliseum is fun. Vegas Showdown, great game with five. Santiago, wonderful, elegant game. A game that I love because it fits in in just about an hour, which a lot of the games I've talked about here are closer to two. Sometimes you just want a game that will be about 60 minutes. Fits in that time slot wonderfully. Shogun. Shogun, what a great game. So much fun. You've got that cube tower. When you're going to fight, you you grab a handful of cubes, throw them in the tower. There's nothing like that. I don't even care when I win when I play Shogun. I just want to fight people and throw cubes in the tower. (laughs) And maybe that's maddening for people who are involved in games with me. But I, I do try to win, but oh, I love fighting in Shogun. And the classic El Grande works excellent with five. Great area majority game. But what's my favorite five-player game? My favorite five-player game is Chinatown. Talk about interaction. So much negotiation. I play with the variant where it's free-for-all negotiation, which really makes it just seem like this you know, crazy negotiation game. If you don't work fast, you don't get the deal. It keeps the game moving, moving quickly. Players have to think on their feet. They have to make good deals. They always have to be talking to each other. They have to be paying attention to what other players have. This is the perfect negotiation game. Yeah, there's a lot of luck and randomness, but it's, it's short, it's got so much interaction, and it's always a great time. Chinatown. So six players or more. Now we're looking at games that have to have really short turns or almost simultaneous turns in order to work. Now, unless you're a very patient person, 
I really enjoy Age of Empires 3 with six players because I think th with that number of players, I think it really is a lot of fun. Now you have to wait quite a bit, but if you're patient, I think it's a really good game with six in a category where not a, not a lot of solid strategic games work with six players. Then you have the great auction game Medici, which works with six and fits in nicely in that shorter 45-minute slot. And then, of course, you've got the mad dash and crazy laugh fest that is Robo Rally. Robo Rally works with six, seven, eight. We've played it with eight. It doesn't really slow down too much if everybody knows what they're doing, kind of does it simultaneous. And Robo Rally's a long game, anyways. You're in for a few hours. Uh, but it's a great time with a lot of players. And then, if you've got a lot, a lot of players, Wits and Wagers is a great game, especially, I think, if you've got you know, a whole crowd over, you can get into partnerships or teams. You know, People have said this many times before. This is the sort of game you really want to play in teams. It's, it's almost more fun to be able to, to argue about it together. I use it in my classroom, and it's just a riot. What's my top pick for six-player games or more? I have to go with Shadows Over Camelot. I told you I don't like cooperative games, but this one's the exception. I love that traitor element. I find it a lot of fun to just play those mind games of watching people, listening to what they say, seeing them as they flip up their traitor cards, see how they interact. You know, the turns in this one, just like I talked about, really nice quick turns if everybody knows what they're doing and the game can, can move quickly. And there's a little bit of strategic discussion. I love the rule. Some people don't like this, but I love the rule about you can't talk about, not at all, I'm pretty strict about it, about what you know and other people don't know. And, you know, people can can give sort of subtle hints and things, uh, but I think that really adds to the game as you kind of have to also read other players' intentions and really work together. I've had so much fun playing Shadows Over Camelot, and the kids in my board game club can't get enough of this one as well. So there we have it. Those are my recommendations. And I compiled them all together to what I'm going to call Ryan's Essential 10, taking the top pick from each of those situations. And when I look at this list, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I think if someone had just these 10 games, they'd really be prepared for a lot of different situations. We have a good mix of light to the heaviest of games, and a variety of games that will work with a lot of different player numbers and a lot of different player personalities. Here they are. Inca Gold, Settlers, a game from the Age of Steam family, an 18xx game, a Ticket to Ride game, a Crayon Rails game, Kalos, Tichu, Chinatown, and Settlers of Catan. The one thing that does stick out is that four of the ten games on there are train games. And like I said before, it's not necessarily because I love trains or the train theme, but when I play these games, I love these games. I love the mechanics. I think they're just great games. The excellent podcast, The Dice Tower, did something similar to this a while ago. They came up with a list from all their contributors of 15 games that everyone should own. And this is a really great list. You should check it out at their website if you haven't or you haven't heard of it at thedicetower.com. And I was comparing their list to my list. And I see three of the games are the same on the list. They also chose Ticket to Ride, Shadows Over Camelot, and Settlers of Catan. All good picks. 
I also thought it was interesting to compare that to the Board Game Geek Top 10, and there wasn't a lot of crossover there. And when you look at the Board Game Geek Top 10, you really notice how heavy and how long those games are. Most of those games, even in the top 100, are not games you're going to bring out in every typical situation. I'm just looking at what's on the list right now. We've got Agricola, Puerto Rico, Power Grid, Twilight Struggle, Through the Ages, La Havre, Dominion, Tigris, and El Grande. That's a lot of meaty games. I mean, aside from Dominion, everything in there is going to run you at least two hours. The only repeat on both lists is actually number 10, which I don't think I mentioned, which is Kalis. And I think of those 10, personally, Kalis is my favorite. So that's, that's why it's on my list. So I hope this gave you some things to think about how to pick your next game at game night. Or maybe you thought about some holes that are missing from your game collection and you'll want to add some more things to your wish list or maybe make a few last-minute requests for Christmas presents. So remember, when you're going to that game shelf, you want to consider your number of players, the game length, the game complexity, and the personalities of your players. So let me know what you think of this special episode that I did, whether you'd like me to do different episodes on occasion, mix those in, or just want me to stick with the standard format. Let me know at the Guild. Next time we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. I will pick out a great game and give it the how-to-play treatment. Haven't quite decided which game that will be yet. If you want to make some last-minute requests, get those up on the Guild. Make sure you're subscribed to iTunes so you don't miss one fantastic moment of the How to Play podcast. I always love to get your support, whether it's from just downloading the show, subscribing on iTunes, or joining the Guild. Joining the Guild is a way that you can say, Yes, I like this podcast. Please keep putting out more episodes. Right now we're just over 60. I'd love to see that break 100. If you've listened to more than one episode, please go there and join the guild. Or if you can help me pay the bills for this podcast, donate. You can donate at the howtoplaypodcast.com website. If you don't know how much to donate, well, it costs me 12 bucks a month to keep this show on the air. Uh, so 12 bucks would support this show for a whole month. I think that's about enough groveling for one episode, so I'll save the rest of my groveling for next time. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Sturm for the How to Play Podcast. Merry Christmas, everyone.